I stretched, and I was wondering if anybody was going to come because of the guy that I chose. Anybody, anybody ever heard of William Arthur Phillips before? Nobody ever heard of William Arthur Phillips before? Have you? Yeah, because you never heard of William Arthur Phillips before. That's, that's good. That's good because there's not a lot uh, written on William Arthur Phillips. And since there's not a lot written on him and nobody in here has heard of him except one person in the back, I'll just be able to make some stuff up. Um, but really the idea, and this is why I say it was kind of a stretch, the idea here wasn't as much about Phillips as it was about the fruit of his work. And so I'll kind of start there before we, we, we get to, to him and his work. Um, I've been, had the privilege for the last three and a half, almost four years, uh, to live and serve in Lusaka, Zambia, with the Reformed Baptists uh, in Zambia. And it has been uh, challenging. It's been encouraging. Um, it's been instructive. It's been a lot of things. And a lot of people have asked you know, why it is that at, in this phase of life, um, my family and I would make that decision to go and, and move to Zambia. Um, our oldest two children are out of the house. We have seven children still left at home. Uh, there, I don't know of any mission agencies that would send a family our size anywhere. Um, and so we weren't sent by any mission agency. We were sent by our, our, our local church. Imagine that. Um, but the reason that we did this is, there, there's several reasons that we did it, but here's one thing that'll help you understand. There is a trend, and a lot of people are talking about the trend of the movement of Christianity to the global south, right? Uh, the number of uh, believers and the number of churches growing and multiplying in the global south. Uh, places like South America and Sub-Saharan Africa and Southern Asia. And it's true that, that there are growing numbers of believers in those parts of the world. Um, I don't believe there's anywhere near as many as are reported in those parts of the world. And I believe that for a number of reasons. Uh, one, because um, a lot of what passes for gospel ministry in uh, those parts of the world um, is really not. Um, there's a lot of, you know, watch the film, raise your hand, um, you know, pat you on the back, you're a Christian. Um, you can read, uh, you're the pastor. Um, <laughs> And then we come back and we give our reports. And, and if the reports that we're hearing were anywhere near true, um, Africa would have been saved several times over already uh, by now. Uh, but not only the, the, those, those methods, but also the syncretism. Um, you get on the ground in a lot of these places and you recognize that there is a great deal of syncretism, a great deal of, of mixing uh, elements and aspects of the gospel uh, with um, local religions, um, with pagan religions, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and this syncretism is hugely problematic. Um, 
in this syncretism, it's interesting. A lot of people think, for example, let me give you an example of this, this, this syncretism problem, the syncretism issue. A lot of people think that um, you find the, the, the word of faith movement in places like South America and Sub-Saharan Africa because of the success of the word of faith movement, right? And you'll even hear people, you know, say things like, you know, yeah, these, these word of faith guys, um, you know, they do a much better job of spreading that than we do of spreading our version of Christianity or whatever. That's actually not the case. Um, what is the case is that in cultures that tend to be animistic, um, there are natural tendencies toward both Roman Catholicism and the word of faith. So, for example, in uh, sub-Saharan African culture, where in African traditional religion, uh, people's cosmology is basically this. You have us and where we live in this realm that we live in, and above us, you have the realm of the ancestors who are very much influencing our existence um, and have to be appeased. And then above them, you have the realm of the spirits. Um, and then above there, you have the realm of the gods. Um, all of these realms are influencing our lives. And it is incumbent upon us to know how we're being influenced uh, and to be able to appease whomever we've offended when we've offended. Um, we also need spiritual strongmen. Uh, witch doctor or something like that, who can tell us how it is that we can appease when we've offended and who can, who can, go, who can go for us and who can perhaps even uh, appease on our behalf, get us a breakthrough, if you will. D does that sound familiar at all? It sounds like Roman Catholicism and it sounds like the Word of Faith movement. See, it's not that they're successful or that they're even working really hard to spread their movement in places like Sub-Saharan Africa or in South America. It's just that when you hear that, it resonates with the worldview. And they go, wait a minute, <laughs> the spiritual strong man, the man of God, who I have to come through to, who will get me a breakthrough who will tell me how I can get what I need from the spiritual. I get that. I see that. And then somebody comes with, you know, biblical gospel. It's a lot harder to believe and receive and understand the biblical gospel than it is to believe and receive and understand that perversion. So it's not that we're not working hard. It's not even that we're not being effective at communicating the biblical gospel in these parts of the world. It is just that the perversion of the gospel has a tendency to adhere to the animistic worldview a lot more readily than the actual gospel does. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Satan is, he's a liar. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And he's, he's real. Amen. And he's busy. Right? So, of course, if there's some perversion of the gospel... Um, that people can latch on to, uh, that's, that's going to happen. Um, and so we see that. Um, now, you couple that with, you know, the way that we've had a tendency to preach the gospel, especially in these parts of the world, um, and you can see how that can be problematic. 
Now you couple it with, sorry, now you couple it with what has passed for theological education in a lot of these places, right? So you have these worldview issues and this syncretism that's going on. Um, so on the one hand, you can have a gospel that, let's say, is less than robust, and that's problematic. And now let's add to it theological training, which is like this much above Sunday school, right? And we're going to go for a week or two and train some pastors and give them some information and a certificate and send them out, not only not having addressed these worldview issues, but in many instances, not even being aware of these worldview issues. Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? Right? So this, this, is, hugely, this is hugely problematic. Um, so there's that piece. But the gospel's going forth in the global south, and there are people who are coming to faith in the global south, and some would argue that the center of gravity of Christianity is shifting. It's moving toward the global south. Um, I don't agree that that is the case. And for mainly a couple of reasons, and this is all going to lead us to why um, Phillips and his work are relevant to what we're talking about. We've seen uh, Christianity shift. We've seen the movement change over the years. Um, we recognize that initially the center of the Christian universe is there in Jerusalem, right? Uh, but was in all, didn't always stay in Jerusalem. The gospel spread, and so you have Antioch and Athens and places like this that become significant, and then Constantinople, you know, becomes significant. Eventually in the Reformation, you have continental Europe that becomes significant. Um, later on, English, England and the British Isles, they become significant. They become sort of the center of the Christian universe. And all the way up to the modern era where the United States has become and is the center of the Christian universe. And it's interesting. We Americans, we have a tendency to complain a lot, uh, to complain about a lot of things. And that's just because we don't travel. Um, LAUGHTER I always say Americans who complain about America need to go live somewhere else just for a few months. Um, you can pick your place. Pick the, you just pick the best place in the world outside of America, go live there for a few months, and you'll come back and you won't be complaining. Amen, somebody. Amen. Bro, this place is awesome. Okay? It's not even a close second. This place is awesome. Okay? Um, and... The same thing with American Christians. American Christians complain about American Christianity and, you know, oh, the faith of the people over there. Where? I don't know. Just anywhere but in America. Ah, oh, the faith of those people. Ah, oh, Christianity in those places. Ah, oh, what we could learn. Ah, and there's some great Christians around the world. But here's the question that I want to ask you. Can you name three books, significant theological works, that you feel like you and other Christians need to read that aren't written by Americans? Now take out the Brits. You know, now, now, now take out the Brits. Yeah, he's dead, though. 
That brother had to go all the way back to Calvin, right, to find somebody. But, but do you see my point? This is the center of the Christian universe. 95% of all Christian books are published here, right here in these United States of America. This is the center of the Christian universe. The strongest churches in the world. The strongest churches in the world. Greatest pastor theologians. The greatest collection of pastor theologians that anybody's seen in a long time. Right here in these United States. The largest and strongest seminaries in the world. Where? Right here in these United States. It's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. This is the center of the Christian universe. Has been for a long time. It's going to be for a very long time. When we've seen those other shifts, there have been a couple of things that we've seen. We've seen strong churches and eminent pastor theologians, right? We've seen libraries and institutions of higher learning. When those things have shifted, then the center of gravity shifted. The center of the Christian university of the universe shifted. We, we, we saw that. So when you start talking about you know, Athens and Alexandria, you're talking about theologians and libraries and institutions. And when you talk about, you know, Constantinople, and when you talk about, you know, continental Europe uh, during the Reformation, what do you have? You know, preeminent pastor theologians and institutions and training and sending. What do you have in Britain? You have all that. Again, that's where all the publication was happening. That's where all the institutions were. The great pastor theologians, great churches, and now here in the United States. Guess what you don't find in the global south today? You don't find publishing for the most part. And the places that you do find publishing, guess what they're doing? Translating American books and publishing those. And you don't find the great theological institutions. This is what we're not finding in those places. Well, I'm not saying this to knock those places. I'm saying this to answer the question. Why? Why would we do what we did at this phase in life? Because there is one place that's not like most. There's this little place, sub-Saharan Africa, little place in South Central Africa, just a little country, Zambia, size of Texas with half the people, right? And there is a three decades old plus indigenous, confessional, reformed, reproducing, multiplying church movement in Zambia. It's crazy. And then these guys decided that they were going to start an academic institution of the first order. I'm in. Amen? Amen. Uh, it's, this is huge. I mean, this is absolutely huge. And so while we have been talking about this trend and not necessarily seeing the things that we would need to see in order for that sort of next step or next phase to occur, there is this movement. And there's a couple of similar places I would argue probably not any as, as advanced as, as, as what's happening um, in, in Zambia right now. But there's, there's several places. 
so what are we talking about when I talk about this indigenous movement, when I talk about this sort of, you know, um, reproducing, growing indigenous movement? Um, Kabwada Baptist Church is the church that I'm a member of. Conrad Mbewe is my, my pastor at Kabwada Baptist Church. I'm part of the teaching team there now. We just had our missions conference at KBC uh, this past week. And the missions conference at KBC is a unique thing. We had probably uh, two dozen of, of Kabwada's missionaries. Um, this is not the missionaries from the Reformed Baptist churches of Zambia, right? There is this strong group of churches, this strong movement, association of churches in Zambia, Ripgast, Reformed Baptist churches of Zambia. And when I say that we had a, you know, a couple of dozen of our missionaries, I don't mean a couple of dozen of our missionaries from the Reformed Baptist churches in Zambia. I mean a couple of dozen of our missionaries from KBC. And when I say a couple of dozen of our missionaries, I don't mean a couple of dozen people who have been sent by mission agencies who happen to be members of KBC. I mean a couple of dozen of the several dozen missionaries who are supported by KBC. Yes, our one congregation. Dozens of missionaries. This year, every year there's a, there's a one-off offering. And the one-off offering usually is to go to support uh, a missionary who's being sent to plant a church somewhere that's being emphasized. Um, a few years ago, it was a missionary that was sent to Sierra Leone. Um, last year, it was for a missionary that was sent to uh, Nigeria. And this year, it's for a missionary who's being sent to Zimbabwe. So KBC, again, by the way, KBC is not the largest of the Reformed Baptist churches in Zambia. Just keep that in your mind. Everybody knows Conrad and everybody knows KBC. KBC is not the largest of the Reformed Baptist churches. I don't think we even have the most missionaries or church plants. So I, I, keep that in mind as we talk about this, okay? So churches planted all over the country. First, all over the city of Lusaka, the capital city. Secondly, all over the country. And now in at least three other African nations with a view toward more and even church plants and other continents. This is not an association of churches that I'm talking about. This is not a denomination of churches that I'm talking about. I'm talking about one local congregation. You'd be hard-pressed to find churches who are exerting that kind of effort in missions just about anywhere, right? And again, we're not talking about some sort of, you know, foreign-led, missionary-led. This is an indigenous work. But so what happened here? Well... Now we get to talk about William Arthur Phillips. I'm going to give you a little bit about William Arthur Phillips, some of these connections, um, and then perhaps answer some of the questions that you have. 
one of the things that helps you to understand William Arthur Phillips, this missionary who came to Zambia in 1905, um, he went to what is now known as Malawi back in 1901. Um, he was from Great Britain. He was from England. Um, he's from a little church in England called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Um, and, and a lot of people think, you know, Metropolitan Tabernacle, that, that, wait, that sounds familiar. Met, Metropolitan Tabernacle, London. There's this, um, what's the, um, C-H, yeah, Spurgeon, yeah. Yeah, that guy was his pastor. And, and a lot of people know about C.H. Spurgeon, but let me back up just a little bit, okay? And, and let me tell you the legacy of that church, so that you can understand this particular missionary who went from there first over to Malawi and then four years later further in um, to what was then northern Rhodesia. Uh, one of the hardest places in the world to get to. I mean, even today, if you, if you, if you want to ship me things, just to ship things to us in Zambia, it's expensive because you just you can't get there from here. I mean, it just... We've, we're landlocked, you know? We, if you, so here's Zambia. People are like, where's Zambia? I'm like, okay, just think. You don't know where Zambia is, but you might know where Angola is. Yeah, I know where Angola is. Yeah, okay. Ang- Angola's over here, and we're there. Maybe you know where Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe. We're there, okay? Um, maybe you know Malawi, Mozambique. Ah, yeah, you know, Tanzania, yeah, oh, right there, okay, you know, the Congo, yeah, right, yeah, those are the countries around us. <laughs> it's hard to get to where we are. When we moved and, and we shipped our things over there, if we had been going to South Africa, it would have cost us 35 to 40 percent less to ship our stuff there. Why? Because you can't get there from here, okay? So, Understand that when, when Phillips and his partner, Masters, are in Malawi for four years laboring there and make a decision that they're going to go further in, they're going to some of the hardest to reach people logistically in the world, like, like ever. This is what he desired to do. And it's significant to understand where he's from. The first pastor of what we now know as Metropolitan Tabernacle was a guy by the name of William Ryder. He's a founder somewhere around 1650. And you, you don't know William Ryder. Um, maybe you know the next guy, Benjamin Keach. It's a pretty significant Baptist theologian. Um, 36 years, Benjamin Keach served that church. Um, but then there's a guy who came and served for 51 years, a guy by the name of John Gill. Mm. And then John Rippon came in 1771 and served for 63 years. Keach, Gill, Rippon, that's before we get to Spurgeon. And then Spurgeon serves for 38 years. So understand the theological legacy of the church that Phillips came from. 
And there's a couple of things that I want to say about this. Number one, I want to say that this crushes the myth that reformed folks and missions don't go together. Amen, somebody. That reformed folks and missions don't go together. Here's the second thing that it crushes. This idea that heavy, heady theologians and heavy, heady theological churches don't produce passionate evangelists and missionaries. You don't get more heavy, heady theologiany, <laughs> especially in Baptist life, than this lineup of guys. Amen? Amen? And this is where Phillips came from. And at the age of 18, God calls him to missions. And he goes to Africa. He goes to Malawi. And that's not Africa enough for him. Four years later, further in. Further in. Taking the gospel to Africa in general was difficult. But taking the gospel to where he went was particularly difficult. Listen to this. Describing when they got there initially. The rainfall in 1905-06 was exceptionally heavy, and it was at the height of the rainy season that our pioneer missionaries reached the village of Chief Katanga. They were both far from well, one being weak from a severe recent illness and the other succumbing to his first attack of fever. It's interesting. I, I hear this, and I, I think about when we first went, and I see Conrad sitting back there, and he'll, he'll have to chuckle at this because, you know, this was 1905. We went in 2015. Yeah, we were just sick all the time when we first got there. And, and with, with nine of us in the house, stuff would just run through all of us. And, you know, we'd be at KBC and be like, you know, pray for our American brethren. You know, they're not used to our bugs over here that we just become accustomed. We're just not. We're just not. I'm not African, (laughs) y'all. Amen. Amen. I'd have told you that before I went, but having gone, no, 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 not me. And so when I hear this, I, I have to smile. The chief offered them a disused hut, too dilapidated for even his own occupation. And there they remained with their goods during all the incessant rain. Trees were felled, huts erected, gardens dug. But through lack of experience, some of the early gardening efforts were a failure, and the lack of vegetables and the fresh meat caused a great deal of suffering and illness. Welcome to Africa to say nothing of their white skin being that close to the equator. Amen. Amen. 
I'm black, and the sun messes with me in Zambia. <laughs> you that close to the equator, man, the sun, the sun leans on you. I mean, it's, right? <laughs> the point is, this was difficult work. This was difficult work. And that's just the logistics and the physical aspects of it. What about the spiritual aspects of it? Listen to Philip's description. He talked about the unspeakable horrors of spirit worship, witchcraft, human sacrifice, live burial, cannibalism, and polygamy, to name a few. But they were safe, and they weren't attacked. Why were they safe and not attacked? Well, there's a number of reasons, not the least of which was the fear of some in that area over the slave trade. Now, some of you had that curious look. That curious look, because you're going, wait a minute. You just talked about Angola, Namibia, Botswana, right? Zimbabwe, Malawi, Mozambique, the Congo. I thought the slave trade was a West African thing. Hmm. Yes. But there was also slave trade through Central Africa as well, and particularly in Zambia. In fact, in the Copper Belt, a town called Ndola, one of the larger cities in Zambia, there's this area called the Slave Catchment Area. And there's this huge tree. I was taken to this tree. It's several hundred years old, just huge tree. And in this open area, they would auction off slaves. Well, and then what would happen? Well, they would actually go from there toward the sea in Angola. And there was a direct route from Angola trading slaves. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. And I was told about that. I was told about that after I had preached in the largest maximum security prison in the world, which is in Louisiana, and the name of it is, they take the name from a plantation that was there before where slaves came from this route that I'm talking to you about. And so it was because of leeriness over the slave trade that these guys were actually given some room to roam and to work. And they set about two main things, education and evangelism, which have always gone hand-to-hand with people who are serious about missions. Education and evangelism, proclaiming the gospel, starting churches, and training and educating people. Phillips wrote a hymnal. In this hymnal, because translation was a huge part of their work, right? They, they, they cannot be effective in evangelism and effective in education unless they are actually doing this work of translation. And so the first thing that they actually had translated was this hymnal that Phillips did. There were 35 hymns, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. And when they actually received it, their excitement was uncontainable. 
But what about the fruit of the work? It took two years to see their first convert. Two years to see their first convert. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Because you hear this a lot, right? About pioneering missions in most places. And I want to be careful about the way that I say this. But I'm very leery when I hear about faithful ministers of the gospel in the history of the church who have labored and labored and labored in order to translate, in order to preach, in order to evangelize, in order to educate, and in order to train. And then we turn around and hear about people who show up with a film and see hundreds in a day. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do this, God can't do that. Hear me, and hear me very carefully. That is not what I'm arguing. What I'm saying is I'm leery. And it, it worries me that somehow we believe that modern man has become so spiritually advanced Two years for the first convert. Five years for the first baptism in 1910. The second baptism, three years after that. So this was a long-term work. It was a long-term effort. And they not only preached in the region where they first settled around the Copper Belt region, but would then leave and go further in and preach the gospel throughout. Why is this significant? Here's why. There's not a lot written about Phillips and Masters. But their work is known, their work is significant, and their work is important. And it cannot be ignored that today there is a sound, biblical, confessional, Reformed Baptist, 1689, Spurgeon Baptist movement in Zambia that is alive, that is well, that is thriving, and that is reproducing, and that is vibrant, and that, oh, by the way, in 1905, there happened to be some missionaries from what we now know as Metab, who showed up, labored, and laid groundwork. That's not coincidental. There is a necessary link to be made there, a natural link to be made there. And as I think about uh, these gentlemen who came, there are a couple of things that for me just are kind of bullet points to jot off. A couple of them I've already referred to. 
It's one thing to say that um, our Reformed theology, or let me say our Calvinistic theology, whether it's Reformed or not, but our Calvinistic theology uh, doesn't necessarily have to hinder our evangelism and our missions. But I also hasten to say, unfortunately, sometimes it does. Amen? If if anybody's going to talk about it, we need to, right? Unfortunately, sometimes it does. Um, Unfortunately, you know, we stick our chest out, um, you know, because we're we're really hardcore Calvinists, and when you're really hardcore Calvinists, you prove it by not reaching people. (laughs) If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch, right? Right? Um, this, This should not be the case. In fact, if we believe in the doctrines of grace and we believe in the doctrine of election, we ought to be passionate about the gospel and passionate about missions because our success is guaranteed. Amen? Amen. God's going to save his people. He's going to. He's going to. The other thing is this. I'm encouraged by this, and these weren't these weren't perfect missionaries by any stretch of the imagination. These weren't perfect men. These weren't perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm, I'm certain that if you know we dig into these individuals' lives, uh, there would be be things about them that 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 we we wouldn't be very happy with. They were products of their time. Amen. Um, and a hundred years from now, people dig into your life, there are going to be things that they find that they would not be happy with. Amen? Um, yeah, I think if there were statues built to any of us in here, a hundred years from now, somebody would be able to find something that made them want to tear it down, right? Um, and if they didn't, that's just because it was hidden really well, right? Um, but, but here's the thing. They went at great cost to themselves. They went. Here's the other thing. They were in the center of the Christian universe, and they went. I, I gave you the list of the theological pedigree of Philip's church. Do you know most people, if you're at a church like that with that theological pedigree, I mean, just think about it. Think about, think about the library. When, that's your, when your library is Keach and Gill and Spurgeon, and it's not just because you went and found their books and put it in your library. It's because those are the pastors in the history of your church. Your tendency is going to be, dude, this, I like it here. <laughs> you go somewhere. I'm staying right here so that I can sit and soak and learn and take all of this in and yet He said, I must go. I must go. Here's the other thing. They went, and what did they give themselves to? Really, education and evangelism. Education and evangelism. Um, One of the unfortunate realities today uh, with missions that I can speak to Sub-Saharan Africa, but it's also true in other places. Um, 
in sub-Saharan Africa, the ratio is five to one. Um, in other words, for every one dollar that we send uh, for missions in terms of church planting and evangelism and education, for every one dollar we send for that, we send five dollars for mercy and benevolence work. Five to one. Again, I'm not arguing that digging wells and doing medical missions and, you know, caring for, uh, you know, uh, orphan children. And I'm not saying that those things are not important, but that's not the mission. That, that's peripheral. It's important. But the heart of our mission is the proclamation of the gospel. It's the heart of our mission. Another thing that I will emphasize is this. It's, again, this is something that's challenging to me as I think about this. I think about what it would have taken, and it was, you know, I just got here yesterday, um, and I was down in the speaker's room a little while ago, and, um, you know, I woke up drooling, and, you know, and I, was, I got here. But it, it took me 30-some-odd hours um, uh, to get here, right? You don't even want to know how long it took for them to get from England to Malawi. That's a goodbye, probably never going to be home again trip. There are hard-to-reach and unreached peoples across the world today. And we can get to all of them within a day. Amen? We can get to all of them within a day. We don't have to pack everything we own in the coffin that we intend to be buried in when we go, which is what... <laughs> Guys like these used to do. We can just put a few things in a suitcase, right? Pack up the rest of it with stuff that we want to give away and leave when we come back home and just go. So again, this is another one of those bullet points that just, for me, um, sticks there. Another thing is this incredible emphasis that they had on the Word of God and their trust in the Word of God and getting the Word of God to people in their language. We have a tendency, again, this is the center of the Christian universe. Not only is this the center of the Christian universe, but our country, our nation, is the most powerful nation in the history of the world, right? I mean, I mean we're it. We, we're it. This is the center of the universe. Economically, militarily, culturally, all sorts of ways, right? The center of the universe. And most people in the world, a large number of people in the world, are at least passable in our language. 
So we have a tendency not to think in terms of the languages of other people. And the importance of getting people the word of God in their mother tongue. But this was a big part of what they did and a big part of why it took so long, right? Um, these are just, just a few of those bullet points. Another one is this. 18 years old. God calls him when he's 18. And he follows through later in life. But God calls him when he's 18. Can I ask you what we're challenging our teenagers with? Are they even hearing from us these sorts of things? Because I'll just be honest with you. For many Christians, especially many Christians in this part of the world, if our 18-year-old says, God's calling me to missions and probably to some hard place, we don't want to hear that. I want to see my grandbabies. Right? But this is what God was doing. This is what he was hearing. This is where his challenges came from. And this is the fruit that it eventually bore. And the last thing that I'll say is this. They spent all these years and saw very little. But if somebody had told them about KBC, huh? They probably would have said, yeah, no, that's just, no. But there's fruit. And again, like I told you when I told you about our missions conference, that's just one church. That's just a small picture. Small picture of what God is doing. Yes. How many people at KBC, Pastor? How many members? 400 or so. Yeah, 400 or so members. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, okay. You know, good. Questions. You have other questions. We just got a few minutes left. Yes. There's a direct tie between, between Phillips and the Baptist work in Zambia today. Not just our group. Baptist work in Zambia today in general. Yeah, uh, yeah there's this guy, um, Conrad Bayway or something, um, who, who uh, has written a history of Baptist work in Africa. Yeah, yeah whatever. It's probably not very, probably not very, probably not very good, but I'm, it's, there's something in there. There's something in there. Yes, masters. There, yeah, there he is. Um, um, and and in uh, Conrad's work and and others who kind of trace the, the history of, of Baptist work there, you'll you'll find uh, both of them there. And f- yeah. So tell us what your day looks like and your future looks like over there. What do you? <laughs> what does my day look like? Uh, 
so I went to be uh, dean of the seminary at African Christian University. Um, the seminary hasn't started yet. The university, we just started our fourth year. So uh, I'm dean of theological education there. I teach um, theology and behavioral science. Uh, I am head of a uh, department, so I'm an administrator. <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, I'm an administrator. Um, and also I help with faculty development, um, which is probably the most amazing part of what I do. Um, African Christian University is a, a classical, a semi-classical uh, Christian liberal arts biblical worldview university. And um, most of our professors have never even taken a class from a biblical worldview, let alone taught one. And unlike a lot of Christian universities, we don't just hire people with credentials and just sort of turn them loose to teach. We actually do faculty development. So, um, you know, we, we, we've got people with you know, PhDs from... Harvard, Caltech, um, you know, um, other universities around um, Sub-Saharan Africa. And it's just a blast to be able to help them to understand how to take what they've learned in their discipline um, and, and shape it within the context and confines of biblical worldview um, and so that we can teach everything that we teach from biblical worldview. So right now we're offering degrees in agriculture, business, education, fine arts, theology, and we'll soon be adding uh, chemistry and microbiology. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm just, you know, doing theology stuff. And now seminary is going to start next term. So excited about that. Yes. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I've been following you for years. You know it. I'm always emailing and texting you. Yep. We talk back and forth. You alluded to the issue of the separation, quasi-separation of uh, the reform versus other Christian parties. And my question is, I said, Dr. Bachman, I love this conference and all we do, but when we leave, there appears to be some form of elitism and ethnocentrism among the Reformed brothers and away from here, there are no or not many efforts in the 90s. And that's troublesome for me in Christianity. Yeah. Um, so how couple, can we bridge? Couple things, couple things. Um, one of the things I find really encouraging, the question is about within um, Reformed circles, um, there's there seeming to be a lack of this kind of uniting away from here. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, there are a lot of different camps here, right? Um, and a lot of different camps come together for Shepherd's Conference. That was, that's one of the beauties of Shepherd's Conference. Um, and it's great, you know, for us to do this. But there are other things that we do that require a greater degree of agreement in order for us to move forward, right? Um, so that, that's the beauty of it. Um, a lot of the people, thank you, a, a lot of the guys here would have um, very significant ties and work very carefully and closely with people around them within their other spheres, and yet still, come, for example, there's Presbyterians here, right? And then there's Reformed Baptist here, and then there's, you know, yeah, who those, those, those groups wouldn't necessarily be uh, doing the same things in terms of church planting wherever they 
go or whatever, but this represents that bigger tent where folks can come together for this encouragement. So part of what you see is that. Uh, part of what you see is the fact that, you know, we're coming together for this, which is a lot easier for us. It makes a lot more sense than a lot of other things. But another thing that I will say is one of the things that have been very encouraging for me um, is to see the cooperation among the Reformed Baptists in Zambia. Um, that, that's been incredibly encouraging for me. But again, a lot of that cooperation comes from the fact that these are confessional brethren. And when you have a higher level of that, you know, like-minded commitment, you can have a higher level of uh, cooperation. Yeah. So again, we have this many people come from this many different spheres and circles. Um, there is going to be a lot of dispersing when we leave. But to me, that's one of the beauties of Shepherd's Conference, back there and in here. Old Palmer Robertson, where is, where is Old Palmer Robertson serving? He's in Uganda. He's serving in Uganda. No, Palmer Robertson, he's, he's British, isn't he? Oh, he's American, yeah. Yeah, he's American. Old Palmer Robertson's American. I don't know why he thought he was a Brit. He's American, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I said here. Now I'm going to hear and in there. Um, well, I didn't allude to the Jesus film, but you just did. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, but it's not the only film-based uh, approach out there. Yeah, um, no, I'm not a big fan of film-based approach evangelism. Um, you know, God bless everyone who's doing everything they can. Um, but, but yeah, I'm not partly because I'm a confessional Reformed Baptist and there's a whole second commandment thing there, but that's a whole different deal. Um, yes. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you say that. You, the, his question is about uh, being in churches that don't have a lot of resources and how to get those churches involved and interested in missions. Um, if, if KBC was in America, it'd be one of the poorest churches you'd ever seen. Um, KBC is not a wealthy church by any stretch of the imagination. However, there is a commitment from every corner uh, to this idea of missions, and there is this constant reminder um, that that that's what that that's what we're about, um, and and an expectation, right? And it's interesting, you know, at you know at KBC we we just had our 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 missions conference, and just you know there's a goal set every year that we try to reach 
you know, this, this sort of one-off goal. We're going to give this amount of money. And there's no, there's no hemming and hawing about now. I realize that by, you know, other people's standards, this is not a lot of money or this is not. There's no, there's, there, here's our goal. And we're trying to reach our goal. It's a goal that, you know, makes sense for a church in our context and a church, you know, with our, our means or whatever. But, and it's a stretch, you know. It, it wouldn't be a lot for a church like this, you know. But that's not what we talk about. We talk about being faithful to God with what we have, you know. Um, and so I, I think when there is that emphasis, when there is that passion coming from every corner, and everybody pulling in the same direction. Um, and when that's kept before uh, a people, um, it, it, it becomes contagious. We'll go back here. Well, there's a concern about finances, more practical stuff is actually get involved in being a host family. You bring the mission into the home, and they actually change it. So that's what my wife and I are Yeah, that's the amazing thing about the United States, right? The nations are coming here. There are people in countries that won't allow us to go preach the gospel, but they send their students here as exchange <laughs> students. Like, sweet. Okay, here. Yeah. yeah. Mine's not a theological question, but I want to know how your health is doing. Um, how my health is doing? My health is doing great. Um, thank you for, for, for asking that. My kidneys are good. Uh, for those of you who don't see, now you ask that, and everybody's like, what? So a couple of years ago, um, I, I have chronic kidney disease. I've had chronic kidney disease since my early 30s. I was di- diagnosed in my early 30s. And a couple of years ago, I had an allergic reaction to the medicine that I been, had been taking for at that time for 15 years. It was kind of protecting my kidneys. Um, and then I had some kidney function tests that were, 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 were bad. And then um, got on a new medication and then kidney function tests that were even worse. Um, and so I just had to, I had to, I had to change a lot of things and I have changed a lot of things. My kidney function is best it's been in 20 years and I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. Doing great. Yeah. I was worried about having to leave, man. Cause you know, you know, where we are that, yeah. Yeah, man. Keep praying for me. Keep, keep praying for me. Keep praying for me. Yes. What sort of inroads, if any, does the prosperity gospel have in what sort of inroads does the prosperity gospel have in Zambia? The, the prosperity gospel does not have inroads in Zambia. It has permanent camps. Um, it, it has citadels, right? It has citadels, not inroads, right? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Because again, that, that connection with the animistic culture and with, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, they have, they, they're, Everywhere, not everywhere, everywhere. That's beyond everywhere, right? Yeah. Mm. Two more, two more. Yeah, um, the question is about um, the, 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 
disparity in mission spending um, and whether or not people understand that these, these other things that we're doing ought to have uh, the gospel attached. And, and um, I, I think a lot of people are very well-meaning. Um, and unfortunately, most of the people who say, yeah, we're going to go do this with the gospel attached, there's a couple problems with that. Number one, they usually don't attach the gospel. And number two, um, proclaiming the gospel, planting churches as our focus means that that has to be our focus. And so when we're doing these other peripheral things, it, it, it's not just that we need to attach the gospel to that. We need to attach that to things that are proclaiming the gospel. So don't just come to Zambia and dig a well and tell people about Jesus, hook up with our church that's there permanently, find out from us where it would be helpful in terms of our long-term gospel proclamation work, how it is that you can support that long-term gospel proclamation work so that there's a synergy there. When we, you see, that, it's a different, difference in mindset. Not that that's a necessarily a bad thing, um, but... You know, I mean, where we are, you throw a rock in a tree and you, you, you hit a missionary. And usually it's, a, you know, it's a, a female in her 20s working with orphans who doesn't go to church anywhere, who wasn't sent by a church anywhere, right, uh, and only shows up to, you know, go raise their support. Man, don't, don't even get me started. But anyway, um, and, 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 and the attachment to local indigenous work. It, that, that's a huge missing piece, right? It, it, it's just, yeah, it's got to be. Okay. My experience preaching at Angola, at the, at the prison in Angola. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Um, that, well, yeah, that's a whole other deal, but God's done an incredible work um, at, at Angola. Um, and you don't go to Angola unless you've got some real time. Right. I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah, there's most of the guys there are not getting out ever. Um, But there's church planting in Angola. Um, uh, New Orleans Seminary is offering degrees uh, in Angola. Um, And there are guys there who are now full time pastoral ministry within the walls in Angola. Um, It's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, what's, what's been happening, what's been going on there uh, with, with, uh, with, the, with the brothers there. Yeah. All right, guys. We, how do you connect with us if you, if you want to support the work that, that we're doing? Uh, I was wondering, man, when you're going to, you know, I, you notice I kept saying, okay, one more. All right, one more. All right, one more. Okay. That's the last question. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, acu-usa.com acu-usa.com that's the the american website of the work that that we're doing there acu-usa.com and it, seriously if you guys have interest in partnering with indigenous work um, this this is an incredibly important indigenous work um, I mean, I, you know, uh, yeah, ACU, African Christian University, acu-usa.com, okay? Um, you you want to find out about this. You want to talk to your church missions committee about this. You want to put us in your budget. 
Amen. Okay. So yes, thank you for asking the last question. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, your kindness to us, your mercy to us. Uh, thank you for little-known figures like William Phillips, those individuals who labor and toil, not knowing if their names will ever be remembered, and for the most part, not being remembered. Thank you for your faithfulness to and through men like this. Uh, grant that we might go and do likewise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.